Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. My name is Todd Cooper. I'm the student pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. And uh, before I go any further, will you guys join me in going before the Lord? God, we thank you this morning. God, for the reminder, God, that the name of Jesus is indeed so beautiful. God, and that that is the only reason we gather today, because of the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus. God, we thank you that your son, God, hung on a cross, uttered the words, it is finished. And because of that, we have purpose and we have hope and we have reason to gather this morning. And God, may our eyes be fixed on you. May we have hope to continue living the life that you have called us to live. God, and through your resurrection, may we have life and newness of life. And may it transform everything that we do, everything that we say, every thought that enters our mind. God, this morning, let it, this time be yours. God, may my words fall dead to the ground, God, and may you speak through me. And may you be glorified in all that we do. Amen. Well, I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I, again, I'm a student pastor. I have the privilege of hanging out with the 6th grade through 12th graders. Um, some of them are down here. Some of them are a little more um, easy to hang out with than others. I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. They're all pretty cool. Um, but this morning, I have the opportunity to share with you guys and to continue this series that we started last week. And uh, it is called, Who Do You Think You Are? All right. And this series is a series on, on identity. And I want to first talk about why is it so important that we talk about identity? And, it, and I believe that we have a massive identity crisis in our culture, in our world today. Not only, no longer do we necessarily search for our identity, yes, some of us do, but we have moved to the point in the last few years where we now believe that we can create our own identity, that we can identify with whatever or whoever we want to be. And so I think it's obvious that we have a massive identity crisis in our culture. And you might be in here and you might buy into one of these misconceptions that, that I know I have before and I know that is probably common. And the first one I want to address is the misconception that this is a message for those 25 and younger. And that's a misconception that's far from the truth because, yes, those 25 and younger might be, it might be more obvious, might be more apparent that they are struggling with their identity, but they, I don't believe they struggle any more than we, 25 and older, struggle. We just might be able to cover it up easier. We might be able to play another identity. We might be able to act in a different way and nobody notice. But I believe we all have an identity crisis to one extent or another. The other misconception is this, is that, is that some people buy into the lie that this topic or this message is, for, uh, is more so for females or for women because maybe, maybe you believe or someone believes that maybe females struggle more with identity, their looks or you know, whatever it might be because you know, we live in a culture or we live in a world that's predominantly our world and the history of, of cultures throughout the world have suppressed women. And so 
whether it be one of these misconceptions, I want to, I want to dispel both of those because I would say even more so that a message on identity is for men. And I say that because our society is, an, is intentionally attacking the identity of men. And if you don't believe me, turn on any TV show, turn on basically any movie, men are being attacked. And the reason that the enemy of our souls wants to attack men is because he knows that if he can attack men and he can get them to question their identity, they'll begin to struggle leading their family, leading their spouse. And at that point, the family fails to thrive. And it's not all on the husband. The wife and women have great leadership roles, massive leadership roles, but the statistics are overwhelming that if a father, if a husband struggles to lead, that the impact is detrimental. And so don't buy into either of those misconceptions. I believe this message is for those who are young, those who are old, those who are women, men, wherever you are in life. I believe this idea of identity is very important. And, and I believe that many different aspects of our culture and our life uh, play into this identity and define this identity for us that I believe we, we must um, be aware of and we must fight against because so often do we allow our accomplishments and our failures both to, to define who we are. We allow Facebook and Instagram and the things that are posted, the people that we follow to define who we are, who we should be. We allow gossip. We allow our grades, if we're still in school, to identify who we are. We allow the news, and we allow even our neighbors to identify us. We allow our degrees and, and maybe how many times we can vacation overseas to identify us. The thing is, we allow the created rather than the creator to identify us. We allow the created, that which is around us, that which the God of the universe has created to identify us rather than him who has molded us and shaped us and put every hair on our head. And so our goal is to, to look back to the creator of the universe and to ask, who have you created me to be? And how does that influence my life? I hope you didn't miss last week Todd Colin, our senior pastor, began this series, and he talked about this idea that we are children of God. And if you've been around the church for, for any amount of time, you've probably heard that more times than you can count, that you are a child of God. And I hope that you don't miss the importance of that, because many times I act as if maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just a beggar on the side of the road that God has compassion on, and he throws me a few dollars. Or, or maybe he's my manager who, you know, he, he's given me a job he's been kind, but he keeps track of my wrongs and my rights. But I want us to understand that we are children of God. And if you're a parent in here, you understand this much more than if you're not. But I still think we can grasp this idea. My son is nine and a half months, and there is nothing that he can do wrong. He is amazing. He's perfect. He's, he's adorable. He's awesome. And as a parent... It's hard for me to, to realize and to understand that God looks at us the same, even more so, that we are his children and he is crazy about us. He adores us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to get to know us. He wants us to get to know him. So don't miss the fact that you are a child of God. And that alone will shape your identity more than anything else in this world.
And I believe the, the reason also that identity is so important is that our life is a result of our identity. Or in other words, our identity, or at least our perceived identity, it, it encourages us and it, and it causes us to act the way that we act. Our identity or our perceived identity leads to our actions. Who we believe that we are leads to what we do and what we say. And so for us to have a, a correct view of our identity is essential to living the life that we're supposed to live. So we are children of God. And uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the greatest NFL sports team in the nation, but the Denver Broncos. Um, oh, I'm serious. The Denver Broncos uh, won back-to-back Super Bowls back in uh, 1997 and 1998. And there was a wide receiver on the team by the name of Ed McCaffrey. Ed McCaffrey, he was, uh, he was a household name during that time. And Ed McCaffrey has three sons now. And one son was just picked up by the Raiders last year. We'll pray for him. His second son, Christian McCaffrey, if you watch ESPN at all, you have heard his name. He, is, um, he was just in the combine. He went to Stanford. He broke Barry Sanders' all-time uh, college all-purpose yards record. And Christian will most likely go first round, I hope. If not, then I'm going to be pretty, pretty frustrated. And he, he should be coming to the Broncos, I'm hoping. So that's Christian. And their third son, Dylan McCaffrey, goes to the high school just down the road from where I went to church, where I grew up, and uh, he is an all-star. His name is all over the newspapers. He just led him to a state championship a few months ago. And so each of their sons are following in the footsteps of their father because their father has influenced them. Their father has, has shown them what he is capable of and what they are capable of. And no, it doesn't work out like that every time, that every NFL player, their, their sons are going to be NFL stars. No. But even if they weren't NFL stars, I'm sure they'd be a Denver Broncos fan or else they would not be smart. And so Ed McCaffrey has had an influence on his sons in the same way we are influenced by who we see or who we consider or who is actually our father and our mother. And so this week we're going to talk about the idea that not only are we children of God, but we have a home. And we have a home And um, if you'll join with me in John chapter 10, that's where we're going to start today. John chapter 10, verse 27. Um, If you have our app, you can can open up the app on your phone or your tablet, or I hope you don't have your computer with you, but if you had your computer, I'm sure you could probably go on our website and get the notes. Um, You can look at those notes and follow along with us. I believe the, the scriptures will be on there as well. But John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If, if Jesus mentions something two times, especially within two verses, it's probably something that we should listen to. And Jesus says that no one can snatch his sheep, his children, us, out of the hand of the Father. No one can snatch us out of the hand of the Father. We are secure in the hand of the Father. Um, It's maybe not the best illustration, but uh, you can can maybe cover your children's ears because when I was young in middle school and high school, I was not the best um, kid. I was definitely far from a, a student pastor. 
And um, I remember that in, in middle school and, and definitely the first few years of high school, when I was out at night, um, well past curfew, I won't say what time, when I was out at night, I remember that whatever I was doing, whether it was very illegal or somewhat illegal, um, I knew that whether I was being chased by somebody I shouldn't be chased by or not, I knew that if I could get home, that I was secure and I was safe and I had hope, that all I had to do was get home. And again, I'm not condoning anything. I don't encourage anything. Um, But the truth is that we view home in many different aspects as our safe haven, as our hope, as our security. Maybe a little better example is when I was in college in Oklahoma, every break, Christmas break, summer break, spring break, after studying and studying and studying and taking my finals, when I, when I jumped in the car, or even before that, when I knew I was going home, that's what brought me the peace and the security and the hope of knowing that I can get through this because I'm going to go home and my mom is going to fix me breakfast again and my mom is going to do my laundry and my mom is going to let me sleep in and she's going to make my bed. <laughs> Kids, I'm kidding. My mom did not do that. But when I went home, I knew that I had hope and security and I had peace. And I knew even before I went there, I could look forward to going home because I had that in the back of my mind. And that's what I want us to realize. Because of our faith in Jesus, we can have hope and we can have security in our home, which is heaven. The most memorized and, and probably the most quoted verse in the Bible, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever might believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Not whoever will do enough good works or not whoever will, will be a, a morally upright person, but whoever believes in the name of Jesus and what Jesus did will have eternal life. And so we can be confident that when we place our faith in Jesus, that our home in heaven is secured. It's guaranteed. It's secured. Nobody can take this away from us. Nobody can snatch that away. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. I would say the best chapter in the entire Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. And this is Paul speaking to the church in Rome. And this is what, uh, I'm going to start a few verses before, but you can jump in with me on the screens at verse 38. Verse 35 starts with this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to that. Amen to that. Not only when we place our faith in Jesus do we have the hope of heaven, but that hope cannot be taken away from us. That hope cannot be taken away. Nothing, no, no politician, no nation, no disease, nothing can take away that hope of heaven that we have. 
working in student ministry, it not, it's not just confined to student ministry, but you often see in student ministry that what happens is you always have a few students who every time there is a call to salvation, they raise their hand. And it's admirable, you know, where their heart is that they just want, they just want to know Jesus. They want to obey Jesus. They want to serve Jesus. But I believe that we are influenced by this world. We're influenced by other religions into thinking that, well, maybe I wasn't good enough in between the last time that I gave my life to the Lord and this time. Or maybe I didn't, I wasn't genuine enough about it or I didn't like, I'd understand it enough and I need to do it again. And they do it again and again. Every summer camp, every retreat, every time we do it on a Wednesday night. And it's not confined to student ministry. It happens with adults, it happens with children. But I believe that, that that is simply because we are influenced by the things of this world. Because if you look at it, every religion in this entire world, every worldview, every belief system will tell you that it is based on what you do, not based on what has been done. And Christianity is the only religion that, that stands alone saying that it is, it is all based on what has been done. It's not on what you can do. And so when we place our faith in Jesus, we no longer have to worry that it's going to be taken away from us, that our salvation will be taken away, that, that we no longer will have it if we have one bad weekend or if we succumb to our temptation or our addictions again. It cannot be taken away from us. Romans 8 makes that as clear as possible. And so where does this leave us? Okay, if we, are, we have a home in heaven. If that home is secure, it cannot be taken away from us based on anything in this world, anything that we do, then what? What does, that, what does it mean? What do I do with my life? How do I act? Am I just free to go and just do whatever I choose? Join me in Romans chapter 6, a couple chapters before. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Paul addresses this issue. Do we have a license to sin now because... Our salvation is secure in Jesus, not secure, and not secure in our own works. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are saying, Jesus, I trust that you are doing what's best, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you to the point that I give up on all of my ambitions, give up on all of my attempts for salvation. And Paul says that we even consider ourselves baptized with Jesus or crucified with Jesus. We die to our old self. We die to our sins. 
Does it mean we're perfect after we die to our sins? No, but we, we die to the idea that this is what's best for my life. We die to the idea that this is what I should desire. This is what I desire. And it says that we are raised to walk in newness of life with Jesus. That now that we have died to our old ways, we are raised back to life as Jesus raised himself back to life. And we have power now over sin, not because of anything we've done, but because Jesus overcame death and his Holy Spirit resides in us. And so the salvation, this, this home that we have in heaven is secure in what Jesus did. It can't be taken away from us by anything that happens in this world, by anything that we do. And that alone should give us the desire to say, God, I don't want my old life. I, I compare it to this often with students, is that imagine if you murdered someone and you weren't caught for 20 years. You were free for 20 years, nobody caught you, and in that 20 years you turned your life around and you began to, to give your time, your money, you were convicted of what you did, and you began to be an absolute righteous, upright person. And you are caught 20 years later. You're taken to the courtroom. The evidence is, is shown against you. There's no doubt that you're guilty. No judge in the right mind would say, well, you've done all of these things. You know, we'll work out something. We'll let you go. No, you are guilty, and you deserve to be punished for your crime. And in that moment, as we stand in the courtroom, because that is each one of us, someone walks into the courtroom. Maybe we've never seen them. Maybe someone we know however you want to view it, and this person comes and somehow convinces the judge to take our place. Obviously, that's where the illustration breaks down because that's not how our society works, but somehow this man convinces the judge to take our place, to pay our fine, to pay our punishment. There's no person in the world that would walk out of that courtroom and not look back and not wonder, who is this? Why do they do it? What can I do to repay them or to maybe repay their family? Or I, I was dead and now I'm alive. I had no purpose and now I have purpose. And that is why we serve Jesus. Not to secure our eternity in heaven, that's already been secured, but to, to say, Jesus, you've already demonstrated that you know better than I do. Jesus, you already demonstrated that you are greater than I am. And because of that, I want to follow you. I want to give my life and my desires and my thoughts and my actions to you. The truth is our home is in heaven. Our hope is in heaven. Our security is in heaven. It's not in any politician. It's not in any president. It's not in any politics. It's not in the stock market. Our hope is not in a person or a group of people. Our hope is not in the success of our business or whether we make a sale. Our success simply resides in what Jesus has done and nothing else. Not even our own morality. Not even what we can do. Our hope does not even rest in our own morality. Our hope and our security rests in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Like I mentioned, every religion in the world Every single religion in the world, aside from Christianity, teaches what must be done 
And Christianity talks of what has been done. Every religion talks about what must be done. In Christianity, Christ shows us what has been done. It's been done. It is finished. And we get to have hope and security. And we get to, to no longer fear for our life, fear for death, because we have security, we have hope. So will you join me this morning in prayer? God, we thank you. We thank you that it is indeed finished. God, that there is nothing more that we need to do. There's nothing more we can add to your sacrifice. God, it is complete. It is whole. It is perfect. God, you are perfect and we are not. God, our hope, our security, our home is in heaven, is in what you did. God, I pray this morning that if anyone in here ever doubts, God, if anyone in here ever has fear that maybe they haven't been doing what they should be doing, God, may you use that as conviction, but not condemnation. May you use that to encourage them to draw closer to you, but not, God, to encourage them just to do better works, to, to save themselves. God, may you open spiritual eyes this morning. May you renew our minds, God, to this idea that it is finished. It is finished. And our identity is that we are children of God who have a home. And there's no reason to fear. God, I pray that you change our hearts. You change our minds. God, you give us the desire to follow you because you know all things. God, may we be satisfied with following you. May it not be a burden. May we be satisfied in you, satisfied with the fact that we have hope in heaven. God, I pray for those in here, God, this morning, who maybe have never made that decision. God, who have never placed their hope and their security and their trust in heaven and what you've done. God, I pray that you stir in their hearts and you reveal to them what is so significant about Christianity that it's already been done. And all we simply have to do is say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe that you have done it all for me. And this morning, if you're in here, I want to encourage you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, everyone in here. If you're in here and that's you, I want to encourage you just go ahead and raise your hand. Nobody's going to be looking around. I'm not going to bring you up here. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to just be able to pray for you. So if that's you in this room this morning, I want to encourage you to go ahead and raise your hand where you are. Is there anyone in here this morning? God, we, we pray for those in here, God, who who you have sacrificed your life for. May they be confident, not in anything that they do. May they be confident in you. God, may they be confident in what you've done. May they be confident in the home that you have waiting for us in heaven. God, may we not fear death. May we not fear news articles. May we not fear the decisions of politicians. God, may we have peace in you 
in you alone. God, we love you so much. And may you be glorified in all that we do today and this week. Amen.